Welcome to the Did You Know podcast, where the focus is on rare diseases, how modern medicine is treating these conditions, including the latest breakthroughs in research, and how people cope with their diagnosis and healing. Your host is Dana Morrow, known for her video series on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook called Did You Know Ataxia Facts? 300 videos have been produced and seen in 17 countries to date. And now, your host, Dana Morrow. scales because I think that uh, these are things that uh, can be administered by non-clinicians, by the non, non-AMD clinicians, uh, and they can probably be administered by, by people who are trained who are uh, research coordinators. Uh, Sarah, and you can find this about that I've on Googling Sarah PDF, uh, and I'm going to show to you the on that about because it's widely used, and you'll be hearing about it. It looks at gait, standing, sitting, speech, and then three things for the arm, finger chasing, nose finger, and fast positive movements, and heel to shin. Uh, the FDA didn't like the fact there were three of these all for the arm, um, and um, they didn't like the availability of the heel to shin, and so what they've used in their, in their FDA version is gait, standing, speech, uh, and Sitting it took the, the, the midline uh, body and it took the axis the appendicular away. Whether that's going to be useful or not, I don't know. Time, time will tell. So the gait, the, the gait goes from like I walk normally to I'm not able to walk at all. And the way that this works is the first test of gait and movement is tandem gait. If you can do the tandem gait, one foot in front of the other as you walk, you're okay. Um, that's that's a normal gait. We in the, the, the bars I'll show you in a moment. There's a tweak on that because I'll show you how things work. Um, if the gait is clearly abnormal um, and you cannot do the tandem, or you're staggering, or you have to use the wall, or you have to use a stick, or you need to use a person, uh, or you, you just you only take a few steps with a person, or you can't walk at all, that's a variation in, in the severity of gait determination. Uh, standing is can you stand with one foot in front of the other for, for 10 seconds, or can you not do that but you stand feet together, or can you not do that but you stand feet apart, or you can't stand on your own to someone helping you, or you can't stand at all. So the severity is a gait uh, Sitting um, is you have your hands out in front of you, or you stay with a chair with some oscillation, or you're just not able to do it at all, or you fall over right away uh, when you're trying to sit. And then speaking is hard. Trying to differentiate different aspects of speaking because the, the fine gradations can be, can be challenging. Uh, the suggestion of speech disturbance, impaired speech, which you can understand it, occasional difficulty, many words difficult, only single words understandable, can't understand anything else. So, gradations in speech. Finger chasing is as you, uh, you move your hand around in different directions, you actually do a Z across the country now, so a Z and then like a box. And uh, what you see in the setup is you get an overshoot. It's like the spring is too loose. You follow and you get an overshoot. Um, and then the degrees to which how, how far do you measure, and this, this is where everything falls apart. Because I between 5 and 15 centimeters, is it 15 or 10, different on different excursions. That's, that's the problem that, that I have with it, as the FDA, but that's how the scale is for price. Fingers and nose testing, what you short saw in the video, my, my Patient's nose to down his finger, and uh, in the Sarah score, it's 
almost a tremor measured in centimeters is that at the end point or at the nose. And again, two centimeters, five centimeters, you know, good luck with that. But that's this one. Far following movements has uh, the patient tapping on the, on the, on the leg like this. Um, and you're wanting to do this 10 times, one, two, like that. And you have to do that 10 times in less than uh, uh, 10 seconds. Um, so 10 seconds and 7 seconds is normal. If you go beyond 10 seconds, it's abnormal. And there may be breakdown in that, and that it's, it looks abnormal, but it's slow, or it looks normal, normal but, but it takes a long time. So there are issues with the way that it's performed, but that's the approach fast holding movements, which gets at the relevance of this because in the, in the old ICAST test, you have someone trying to show how to turn a light on. These are the traditional Gordon Holmes classical tests of cerebral motor function. They've been around since early 1900s, and they work well. Um, so it's like turning it into a light bulb. Uh, but I find it very useful. Uh, just on the exam, it's not scored, but the tapping. So that tapping can change in its rate. Rhythm and force. So I've changed, I've tried to change rate, rhythm, and force, and that's what a server patient of modern M4 do. Rate, rhythm, and force. That's the, that's the paradigm of the breakdown in the server and motor system, and probably in the other systems as well. And you can find words that are analogous to rate, rhythm, and force in the cognition. And the heel to shin test I showed you, the fellow lying in, lying in the bed, with sliding the heel down the shin and the little pointers to this, the toes must be pointed towards the ceiling as you slide down the shin. Otherwise, you can, you can sort of squash your foot on the heel and you've, you've lost the tramp. So you can, this, is, this should be like that, but the foot sort of squishes down on the side of the foot and the side of the other calf, and you, you slide down, you can suppress or would be tramp. And uh, this is the way that this is scored here is. Are you coming off the shin on the Sarah? That's the Sarah story, right? And you'll see that a lot. Uh, it's used widely. Uh, FDA has an issue. We uh, realized when we lengthened the icons, because I wanted to see other tests in there, including the overshoot, which I find to be useful. Uh, we wanted to see could I make it better if I lengthened it, using the kind of approaches to testing that I learned from um, my teachers, including Ray Abbott. Uh, but we realized that it didn't make much difference, so I went the other direction with our statistician. We did factor analysis and shrunk it down. So instead of 120 points with like 25 tests, we shrunk it down to this five item, 30 point scale. This is the cerebellar motor syndrome. My view of the brief ataxia rating scale is if you can't score it, we haven't examined the patient. Because you look at gait, arms, legs, speech, and eye movements. Eye movements tend to freak out neurologists for some reason. I'm not sure why. <laughs> like, oh, that's neuroplomology, I can't figure it out. But it's actually very really straightforward when you look at the eye movements as a set for the people taxi radius. So here's what I have uh, this is bars two. The bars that's in this paper here in 2009. Uh, in movement disorders was version one. As I was doing it over here, I realized that we can use half points between the scales. So gait here, normal is a gait that you can do tandem with, tandem gait. There are people who can do the tandem gait, but boy, does it take work. You've probably seen it, like, tongues out and their hands, like they're surfing and they're walking to the printout, 
that kind of gauge, like you can do a tandem, that's a half point. <laughs> so you can do it, but like it has like for those who play golf, like you know, I got a par four with a mulligan. I didn't kind of the mulligan. So that's like a mulligan for the game. Um, and then one, you can you're not able to walk ten steps in ten. You step offline and you try the ten. A two is a clearly a normal gait. It's wide base, it's unstable. Um, and the one and a half is it's it's not clearly abnormal, but it's, this is not an almost normal gate. You can tell that's not quite right, but is it clearly abnormal? Not entirely sure. But another thing to think about the difference between the two. The three is walking without support, but lots of staggering difficulties in the half turn. Um, and so the fellow we saw in the video, uh, he was either a three or a two and a half. Because a two and a half uh, uh, has said walking without support, clearly abnormal and irregular, difficulties of turning, but not staggering. He probably staggered once, so maybe the late is a two and a half or a three. That's a kind of, that's a gate we saw before. A four is you walk by our assistance, but you touch the wall. And a three and a half is uh, if you just touch the wall uh, once, I'll, you know, I'll, give you, I'll give you a pass, but I'm going to note that. If you have to steady yourself once, if you're touching the wall a few times, if, you, if you're basically surfing the wall as you walk down a corridor, that's a four and a half, and a five, you have to have something to hang on to, a cane or something. A six is a walker. A uh, seven is you walk only with the person, but there are people that you've seen who walk with the walker, but someone's hovering. Right? They're hovering about. I don't quite trust. That's a six and a half. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a seven is when you've got someone on each side, or they can waltz down the corridor. With the, you've seen the waltzing position that the loved one is holding them, and they're walking backwards, and they can walk. Means they can do it, but they've been held on both sides. And eight, no matter what, they can't. They can't even take a picture. So that's how, that's from very practical experience, how I've assessed the gait. The heel to shin test is interesting because when you look at how this degrades, there's a slowing in the plane, which is way before the side to side is weaker. Then you get a jerking in the plane, then you start to go side to side to the of the shin. So can this be slow or phases as opposed to jerking, then you get the side to side is weaker, and maybe so bad you can't even stay on the shin. Uh, which is obviously very important, so you can score the audition. The finger to nose, it turns out that you conflate them, you can conflate all the different tests into one. And here's the thing that's remarkable we discovered on the paper in 2009, which is why Sarah's okay, this is okay, they're all okay. Why? Because it turns out that when you have all these 27 or so tests, if you take our five items to form a brief attack you do a correlation of that five with everything else minus that five. The correlation level is greater than 0.9 for 30,000 combinations. So you can throw a dart at it basically and you'll get it right. There are people in whom there's a major mismatch between the arm and the legs, like the alcoholic patients, but the legs are terrible, the arms are not so bad. But if there's a, so you need to do them all. But in general, the correlation is pretty tight. So, so you go, you, if you want to use score somehow, you can do it. The thing that's known is endpoint tremor. Oscillation of the elbow. Sometimes the elbow oscillates as they, as they go, as opposed to just the input jump. The degree to which the oscillation of the elbow, or the lady who saw with the wild inability to get there, she, she basically fails. It's a three and a half in the one and four in the other, where a four is this meter so severe you cannot uh, reach the nose, and three is, is almost that kind. Speech goes from normal to unintelligible, and there are variations. Uh, some of these capture the variability. Uh, between different parts of the conversation. I learned from a patient the other day, 
uh, in one of the trials with him, I was asking him questions to which he knew the answer. His wife was saying, you have to ask him questions that, that he hasn't thought about before. Um, and that's when the speech kind of fell apart. It was, it was clear, there was a difference about that. The kind of more effortful need to think of the words that he was trying to produce made the speech itself difficult. And the eye movements are, are not difficult. The eye movements, there are four things you look at. Well, the eyes quiet at rest, as you look straight forward. As you follow the finger along, is the pursuit movement uh, smooth? Or does it break down with saccadic pursuit? As you look from one point to another, saccad, from here to there, from here to there, does it overshoot and come back again? Or does it undershoot and have to catch up? Um, and then is there a stagnant? So, so far. And uh, the way that I score this is uh, any one of those gets a half point, so it's maximum is two. The reason that's not helpful are conditions, for example, isolated down deep nystagmus, in which there is um, everything else is fine, but gates off because the balance of the world seems to be off. So I'm, I'm going to run out of time, but I don't want to. Uh, this is the cognitive scale, and I'll take you, take you through it quickly. Semantic fluency, how many words can you name in a minute belong to a category? Phonemic fluency, words that start on a particular letter of the alphabet. Category switch, name a vegetable, and then a profession. A vegetable and a profession, the backwards and forwards. So it's a, it's a fluency test, but the frontal lobe flexibility piece built into it. Uh, learn the words, five, five words. You don't score this because this doesn't differentiate several patients from, from others. Do just span forwards, uh, and you give a C, you start off with, uh, start with four because people can generally get two or three. If you can do four, you have to go earlier, but if you can do four, keep going. And you do this at, at the rate of, of, for example, one, six, nine, two, five. And that's an attention test to get it right back again. Do the span backwards, the working memory test, because you give them the example of 4, 5, 8, put it back to 8, 5, and you build up from there. And then people should not be switching this. Drawing a cube to check can you draw the cube on your own? Um, or can you copy the cube? If you have trouble copying drawing it, can you copy the cube? If you get the copy cube right, you, you get a C score okay, but you get bonus points for being able to draw it. Uh, recall, can you recall the words on your own? Can you get them from a clue? Can you get them from multiple choice? Can you score each accordingly? Similarities, can you, what's the same about these things? Can you give me a concept? You go no go, you have to tell me, you raise a finger for any time and say uh, one, so it's, uh, uh, I'll tap once, you raise a finger, tap twice, don't do anything. Right, so go no go, it's a suppression time. And then affect, there's questions you can, uh, from your own assessment of the patient, or from your talking with the family, Get a sense of difficulty with focusing attention, emotional ability, sensory overload, logical thoughts and paranoia, lacking empathy, empathy, and aggression, irritability, or difficulty with social acute. And this comes from the CMB of the neuropsychiatric scale. What makes the scale uh, unique, and I didn't realize at the time, but it's, 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 a, it's a reality, we have a total score, the raw score, of 120. But for each of these, we have norms. So you pass, fail each of these. What we found is if you pass, if you, if you fail one of them, you know, okay, we, we notice that, but that's not that possible because it's easier. If you fail two, it's probable that this is a cerebral syndrome. If you fail three, in our hands, none of the people who were in the healthy cohort failed three. So in our hands, three was definitely CCS. Uh, and this has now been translated in like six or seven languages and has been widely used. So that's, this is your cognitive effective syndrome scale. The CMRS is this one, it's the Neuropsychiatric Rating Scale. We're still working on this. Uh, the first go around, I think it was useful, but uh, people asked us to do 
uh, validation with more external scales and also more people, so we should work on that. This may be the final outcome, but I don't know yet. The domains are, I didn't, didn't write the domains here, I didn't want to make uh, patients um, biased in their responses, but the domains are attentional control, emotional control, autism spectrum, psychosis spectrum, social skill set, one through five. And then people are asked to fill out these forms, uh, never, sometimes, often, almost always, with a likely scale, to these questions or the statements. Um, so in the emotional control acts actually intensely in the moment without uh, thinking or uh, immediately just or, or dissatisfied with life or seem sad or depressed uh, or uh, appear to be uh, unusually angry or reactive, for, for example. And uh, the reason that we have a, a two columns is we think there's an overshoot and undershoot in the same way that we have overshoot and undershoot. This is going to have to be tested as time goes by, but this I think is where we're going to go with the neuro, so the assessment of the affective piece of the CNRS. And the one that's just uh, presented us yesterday in Washington at the International Taxi Research Conference, this is new, and this you will, you will be using this. Uh, you can't see it. It's called the Promi Taxi, the Patient Reported Outcome Measure for a Taxi. Um, and this is based on patient feedback. It is the patient reported outcome measures are a big deal. Um, they matter for patient care, they're going to be increasingly important in clinical trials. What does a patient think about their condition now that they're on drug X, or now that I've done stimulation here, or now that I've done intervention Y, whatever the intervention is? What do you think? How do you think you're doing? And this is going to be, this is important, and patient, and patient advocacy groups are becoming increasingly uh, mindful of this and, and wanted. We don't have a primary tax here, we're really possibly developing it. Uh, we have a problem, I'll show you pieces of it in the next slide. At the moment, we're doing a validation for uh, test retest reliability. We're going to have hopefully hundreds of people around the world giving us that. And we will have a, um, a validation against external measures, which we'll be doing by January or February. Uh, we asked uh, people with their taxes to address four questions, uh, six questions, sorry. What are the problems you have? What hobbies can you no longer do? Uh, how does it affect your thinking or emotions? Uh, what questions do doctors not ask you about that you want to tell us about? Um, and what else is going on that, that we need to know? Uh, 147 patients who have ataxia, who have ataxia from the National Taxi Foundation, gave us 3,855 problems. So we took all those symptoms in these 49 domains and we shrunk it down to these domains of physical abilities, mental health, and the activities that I interfere with. Domains of speech, vision, neuropathy, business, muscle control, fatigue, blah blah, balance coordination, sexuality, and sleep, um, activities that they live in, and instrumental activities they help they live in, and then emotional dysfunction and social health. And then we subjected that, this 79 questionnaire, to a focus groups that told us this was in fact comprehensible, important, and relevant. There was a relationship between the severity of the disease and the uh, 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 scores on the problem. And uh, there was high internal consistency and reliability. So, this is going to be the primary tax here that will be helpful for assessment of patients' own uh, feeling about their department. That includes things like um, I feel kind of steady on my feet, I lose my balance on stairs or ladders, I'm clumsy, my hands shake, I have muscle stiffness. Uh, and then things like I can drive by myself, I can handle food, but can you or can you not? And then I have a hard time controlling my emotions. Lots of interesting activities. Uh, I have difficulty with uh, 
multi-passionate and so on. So across the spectrum, we have all these different, different ways to think about how people are experiencing their own disorders. Um, and then finally, just to, just to remind you, there are many disorders that affect the cell Taxes, hemorrhages, infections, tumors, there's a whole range, a whole technical thing. There are many ways to treat people uh, in the medication arena, treat the tremor, some medications become more relevant for ataxia specificity, drooling, blood pressure, spasticity, fatigue. The CCS, I think, can be used if we're finding that stimulants like Ritalin can be helpful for the executive control. Uh, the antipsychotics can be helpful for some of the behaviors. And then we treat uh, the, uh, the depression with the usual medications. And then some people are having some success with the uh, mood stabilizers, with the anti-epileptic drugs. The sleep is an issue that has to be addressed. Bladder, constipation, ED, uh, aspiration, what we're talking about. And then neuromodulation is a new trend. And then to, to wrap it up then, uh, there's a lot going on. But I don't know that we really understand exactly what we should be doing. And this is where we need to go. So this is a field that's in evolution and it's moving rapidly. Um, what kind of bait balance training exercise and vestibular rehab? Exactly what do we do? To who? How? How often? Uh, cardio therapy and upper, upper extremities with OT, all the speech therapy involvement. Um, the uh, weight of vests for balance, people putting people in the pool, putting kids on horses. The walk a dog that makes kids popular in school instead of feeling like they're the one out. Uh, what kind of assistive devices people don't know what to choose, and they need guidance on what kind of walkers they have, what kind of cage they have. And then empowering people with wheelchairs. It's interesting that when people use a walker, all of a sudden they get their dependence back. The same can be true of wheelchairs. It's not the end of the world, the end of life, it's just a different phase of life. We need to help them with that. Social and family support, genetic counseling is part of this. And then letting people feel empowered by knowing that they are organizations that are now specifically devoted to them and their problems. And something that we, we tend to lose, try, lose, fat, lose uh, uh, track of is that, you know, this is for, for people who have these diseases, they're regular people like you and me, and then this thing they had in their lap, they're like, oh my God, I feel that as well, in addition to, you know, paying the bills and taking out the dog and my mother-in-law. I mean, it's all that stuff that, that we have to deal with, it's like something else on top of that. I think we have to be mindful of the fact this is one more burden of life. It's not the defining feature of their life. And that's important for us to bear in mind. And then I've also found that people are very uh, motivated, especially now in the intensive field, to be part of clinical trials. And I love this term, the terminology that comes out of the Patient Reporter Outcome Measure Institute, which is that we talk about uh, these aren't patients or guinea pigs or subjects. Uh, the people who are going through these diseases are experts by experience. They know this thing, they're in the middle of it, they can tell us about it. Hence the problem tanks here. And the part that I go to here is as experts by experience, they are our research collaborators. And this is something that's a terminology that the National Taxi Foundation that has, has heard from us. Uh, and I didn't make it up, it comes from Promise, I haven't heard it from them. I think it's exactly spot on. Uh, I've adopted it completely. And I think that it honors patients as people like us, but dealing with an issue, uh, as we strive to try and enhance their lives and get on top of the so again, this is the whole work of done collaboration model with that, and I'm looking forward to hearing Stacey tell us about the speech. And we'll come back and have a, have a conversation together later. Thank you for listening in to the Did You Know podcast with your host, Dana Morrow. Please subscribe to this channel to hear all of the latest podcasts. 
We hope that this podcast has provided you with valuable information and inspires you to advocate for yourself and educate everyone in your circle. Remember, you are the expert and best spokesperson for your rare disease. Thank you. Thank you.